I wasn't horribly surprised that Compass became the largest in volume. I think that was going to happen sooner or later, given their growth rate. I was surprised it happened this fast. Same kind of with EXP. I knew ultimately, given the success of the growth in their model, that one day they would probably be the largest in transaction sides, but did not realize how quickly they would ascend into the top three or so brokerages in the country. Those were part of my surprise. The other five years ago or 10 years ago, you look at the number of companies that weren't anywhere near the top 10 that are now clearly in the top 10. I mean, among traditional firms, look at the Howard Hanna organization. I mean, 10 years ago, I doubt they were in the top 10, but they're clearly in the top 10 now. Also, though, you have to look at companies like United Real Estate, HomeSmart, and Fathom, and how fast they have grown. Those were kind of surprises to me, how fast they got there. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Tracy Velt, Editorial Director of Real Trends, interviews the brightest minds in real estate. Each week, brokerage leaders, top agents, team leaders, and industry experts join Tracy to share their trends, their secrets to success, and the lessons they've learned navigating this ever-changing industry. Building a business is a lot like building a house. It's important to have a strong foundation. If you're a real estate agent, that includes partnering with an independent mortgage broker. Someone in your area who can shop multiple lenders and provide your buyers with faster closings, lower wholesale rates, and lower monthly payments. Find your local mortgage partner today at findamortgagebroker.com. Powered by United Wholesale Mortgage, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS number 3308. Steve Murray is the founder of the Real Trends 500 rankings, as well as the agent and team rankings that we do. And today I have him on our podcast to talk a little bit about um, offering some insights into the Real Trends 500 and then the next um, stage of the rankings, which is Nation's Best. These are all firms that did over 500 or more transaction sides in, in calendar year 2021. And so the, the 500 is near, merely the top 500 of those companies. And then the nation's best, we have over 1,200 um, firms on the nation's best rankings. We also talk about the independence and Steve goes into a little bit about the different business models out there and paths to growth and profitability. It's always amazing to have him on the podcast, and I know you're going to um, grab a lot of great insight from this one. Thanks. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where we speak to the brightest minds in real estate about leadership, business growth, trends, and strategy. I'm your host, Tracy Velt, Editorial Director of Real Trends. Today, I'd like to welcome Steve Murray, Senior Advisor to Real Trends and a partner in RTC Consulting, a residential real estate consulting company. Steve is the founder of the Real Trends 500 Brokerage Rankings, and we're looking to him to offer some valuable insights today. So, welcome, Steve. It's good to be with you, Tracy. Yeah. So I'm going to start off with, you know, I get a lot of questions about 
why certain companies have all the production under one umbrella while other companies have individual offices ranked. Um, you know, my company should be the biggest if you add up all the franchises. So can you explain that a little bit to our audience? Yeah, I mean, a long time ago, over 30 years ago, when we started the rankings, we decided to make to that we would separate owned and operated brokerages from franchises, two different categories of brokerage companies. So we basically put a rule in place that said to include any offices in your brokerage totals, you had to own at least 50% of the common equity or a controlling interest in the common stock uh, of the company. And that's so we have some companies that they can include um, all the all their offices that are wholly owned or mostly owned, and those who aren't are not included in our broker rankings. Okay, great. Um, and then obviously some are franchised, so they're they're um, individual companies applying to the brokerage rankings. Correct. These are in the in the Real Trends 500 and Nation's Best. These are just wholly owned brokerage companies. Okay. Not to not to franchise parts of those companies if they have them. Right. And so when you combine the company-owned offices and the franchise offices, let's say of Realogy or um, you know Keller Williams combining all of their franchise offices, which network is then the biggest? Okay. So there's two part answer. If we include, if we say Realogy as one entity, including all of its brands and all of its owned offices, without looking at the data as I sit here, I'm pretty sure they're the largest. The whole of Realogy, all their six or seven brands plus their corporately owned offices would be biggest. If you look at a single brand, uh, then it's Keller Williams, to the best of my knowledge. Okay, great. So with the rankings, um, did you find any surprises or anything that caused you to pause? I wasn't horribly surprised that Compass became the largest in volume. I think that was going to happen sooner or later, given their growth rate. I was surprised it happened this fast. Same kind of with EXP. I knew ultimately, given the success of the growth in their model, that one day they would probably be the largest in transaction sides, but did not realize how quickly they would ascend into the top three or so brokerages in the country. Yeah, those were those were part of my surprise. The other, you know, if you look back, whether it's five years ago or ten years ago, you look at the number of companies that weren't anywhere near the top ten that are now clearly in the top ten. I mean, among traditional firms, look at the Howard Hanna organization. I mean, 10 years ago, I doubt they were in the top 10, but they're clearly in the top 10 now. I think they're actually number five in transactions. Also, though, you have to look at companies like United Real Estate, HomeSmart, and Fathom, and how fast they have grown and become fairly large national companies. Those were those were kind of surprises to me how fast they got there. Yeah, it seems like these companies are getting there a lot faster than um, the incumbents did years ago. Is is there a reason for that? Well, um, one of your questions is about what we refer to as lower cost brokerage companies. Mm -hmm. 
clearly, you know, a couple demographic uh, points. Generally, we know that 40 to 60% of the realtors in the country are doing three or fewer transactions a year. It, it would appear, if I'm them, that I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking for a fairly low-cost option um, because I'm not doing a lot of business. And I'm, I may not intend on doing a lot of business. I may be doing this part-time. Um, I may be doing it, you know, in addition to a full-time job. Um, or I may just, you know, want to be associated and I just haven't gotten a business plan good, put together. But, you know, we're talking six, seven, eight hundred thousand realtors doing three or fewer transactions a year. Well, that would seem to us to be a really lucrative hunting ground for low cost brokerages. Yeah. And so it's no surprise that lower cost brokerages are growing rapidly. It's not that traditional firms, whether they're independent or with a brand, uh, don't look at those companies also. But if a person's not doing much business, it, it will occur to them to keep their costs as low as possible, where somebody who's just charging a monthly fee or a transaction fee, that low cost option would, you know, would probably be appealing or more so than traditional competitors. So I'm not really surprised how rapidly they've grown. I mean, we saw, we saw, uh, you know, years and 40 years, we've seen Remax, who you could construe as a very low cost brokerage when they erupted back in the 80s and 90s, you know, grew from three or 4,000 agents to 90,000 agents at one point. Keller Williams that, you know, I remember first meeting them, they had three or 4,000 agents and they've grown to 170 plus thousand agents that there is some appeal to low cost operations. So it doesn't surprise me to see people like EXP, HomeSmart, Fathom and United um, gain ground fairly quickly. Okay, great. Now I want to keep the discussion on that low fee or low cost brokerage model. I know we said eight of the top 25 and then you you don't really consider Remax a low cost, but if they were included in that, that would be 10 of the top 25 brokerages listed by transaction sides run this model. Um, and that's right. That, that's right. And that's, yeah. that, you know, it's funny. I don't think of Remax as a low cost brokerage company, but uh, technically, generally they operate on a flat variable, flat monthly fee and a fixed franchise fee. So, you know, all in all, I would have to correct myself and say that you're right. Um, there's really 10 of the top 25 would be considered low cost firms. Yeah. And I think the model is a little misunderstood. I mean, way back when in the past, when you thought of a low cost model, you kind of thought of a brokerage that offered minimal services to its agents and, and maybe just the basics to the consumer. We'll put your house in the MLS. Um, but that's right. far from the current model. So explain that model and how it's evolved. Well, I think I think it's fair to say that when you talk about people like uh, United or HomeSmart, EXP, Remax, let's include them, they, most of them actually offer quite a bit more service than we used to 
see in what we called low cost brokerages, MLS only, as, as you said, mm-hmm. um, th- they're offering, they have, most of them have really abundant technology offerings. Some offer online training modules, uh, either, either, you know, via live uh, stream or video series. Um, they're all, they've all beefed up their offerings well above what it was 20 years ago with low-cost firms. And how have they been able to do that? Well, they first brought a lot of capital to the table uh, right out of the gate. I mean, uh, people like Fathom, we're watching Real Brokerage grow. We're watching Side Inc. grow, EXP and their growth. They access capital markets, so they didn't have to necessarily bootstrap everything. Do you think about uh, Remax and Keller Williams? And they were basically bootstrapped. The founders founded those companies on their own money, and they had to slowly but surely build. Neither of them took on any or very little debt. So their growth was slower because of the method which they rolled out and then the franchising system. Uh, these others, United and now HomeSmart and Fathom and EXP, um, th- these guys raised a lot of money so they could put that money into those services to make their offerings more attractive before they before they probably had all the business and the revenues to support it. Yeah, and I yeah. know EXP did an early SPAC, but they haven't really taken any funding um, per se, but nope. they went public nope. very early. So yep. yeah, they have they have done a they've done a very good job husbanding their resources to be able to grow as rapidly. But of course, the other thing as a national brokerage company, one of the big things they don't have is a whole lot of uh, office locations and the employees to staff those offices that their competitors do. As right. you well know, EXP doesn't offer, um, um, you know, local, let's say a lot of staff locally and office space and, you know, employment and occupancy um, is 60% or close 50 to 60% of most traditional brokerages overhead. Yeah. And EXP yeah. just, EXP just cut it out. Yeah. Yeah, I think Fathom, same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. And United, not quite the same, but Mm -hmm. they're closer to these guys than they are to the traditional firms. Yeah. And I've heard too that that because they've had some capital, some of these companies, that they're able to build their own technology, which is is an upfront cost, but it's cheaper in the long run because you're not then paying per agent. So you, you get that benefit later on that that technology is close to to nothing well you know i mean there's still a cost yeah. less and so. i think i think several of these i won't name them but several of these in their early years they didn't have the money they didn't have the kind of capital it takes to build a full platform mm-hmm. so many of them licensed some parts of a platform from existing technology vendors but best i know they're moving away from that and building out their own platforms. Let's take a quick break to talk about the real trends gathering of eagles. Hi, real estate leaders. It's Tracy Velt, editorial director of Real Trends, 
And I wanted to take a moment to highlight uh, two upcoming events that we have running back to back. The first one is on June 26th. It's our Deal Makers Conference. And this is not just for real estate leaders who are interested in buying or selling a company. This really speaks to profitability and how to um, build a brokerage with value. We'll also talk about some trends in the merger and acquisition and brokerage valuation business. Um, Steve Murray is hosting the event and we've got some great speakers for you. Immediately following that is our annual gathering of Eagles, which will run on June 27th through the 28th. This event is for real estate leaders, association executives, um, your entire C-suite, as well as team leaders. And we've got some some great speakers and topics where we're covering everything from mortgages entry into real estate to recruiting and evolving business models, highlighting some of the different business models that are, are your competitors today. We've also are looking into improving capture rates of core services, talking about managing relationships with top teams, and we've got more. In addition, Larry Kendall is our keynote speaker. And in addition to his keynote, he's doing a special ninja workshop. It's a limited um, audience, so it's first come, first serve. So we'd love to have you register for the Gathering of Eagles. Again, it's at the Broadmoor Hotel in Colorado Springs, June 26th through the 29th. The 26th is our Dealmakers Conference. It's a separate registration from the Gathering of Eagles. You can find out everything by going to Realtrends.com and clicking on the Events tab. Thanks so much and hope to see you there. And now back to the podcast. We've talked about growth um, and the different ways to get there from organic recruiting to brokerage acquisitions to team and agent acquisitions. Um, so how sustainable are these growth models? And like, is there a point where a real estate leader has to pivot or shift focus a little bit? Yeah, I, I am of the opinion that every offering out there has a certain audience. And it's not 100%. It's nobody, there's no offering that 100% of the realtors are going to see as that that fits them the best. So as we, we wrote in a report, I think it's now 19 years ago, Real Trends did for the National Association of Realtors about the future of the residential brokerage business. And we entitled it From Homogeneity to Segmentation. And we talked about the fact increasingly we thought there would be more and more uh, brokerage offerings with all kinds of different fee schedules, service offerings, products, and, and that it would fragment the realtor uh, population into different segments, uh, so mm -hmm. to speak. Um, I mean, for instance, you know, Keller, Keller Williams seems to have hit kind of a, a, a kind of a plateau in their agent growth uh, over the last three or four years, 165,000 to 175,000 agents. They seem to be leveling off around that number. Remax in the U.S. 
uh, hit about 65,000 agents or so a couple of years ago, and they seem to be staying a little growth, but not a lot. We're seeing EXP and HomeSmart and Realty One Group and, and others, um, Fathom, come up. And, and we think there's a, some natural limit to them as well. We think that there's a number where they will saturate the market for what they're offering. What they do after that, you know, is, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you know, everybody's talking about or adding, of course, core services like mortgage and title and escrow and other things. And that, it's all really good. It sounds really good, but it, it is really more difficult than just saying we're going to have it. Yeah. You know, it. I mean, I've been following this now for my entire Real Trends career. And, you know, really good brokerage companies work for years to get a team put together and a culture put together to get 35, 40, or 45% capture rates in mortgage, which is pretty high, hmm. actually. And they and some really good ones can get to 60 to 75% capture in title. Now, those are extraordinary levels. Uh, not That's not average levels. So what do all these companies do when they hit kind of that plateau? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know. And, 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 you know, some of the investors are beginning to question the future prospects of some of these companies. You just look at their stock prices and, and question the housing market as well. So there's a lot, a lot of questions about these, many of these companies who went public and raised capital um, as to what will happen down the road. Yeah, it's it's time to work on your uh, per agent productivity, pushing that upward. Which some models, it's it's not really, um, you know, it's not really what their model is all about. So, yeah, and you know, you know that we'll have an upcoming special research report coming out later this summer or early summer, I trust, mm -hmm. about the ten-year performance of nearly set the 750 largest brokerage companies in the comp in the industry, regardless of their model or their brand um, or where they're located. And, you know, the truth is we found, you know, 30 to 50 um, incumbent brokerage companies that were every bit as fast growing as some of the companies we're talking about, uh, you know, on this podcast. Yeah. Um, and some are low cost, but many are traditional incumbent, you know, graduated commission plan or those with a cap of some kind. And we found several of them were growing every bit as fast as United, Fathom, EXP or others have been growing. So it's clearly not just the guys who have capital, they're publicly held. And some are doing it, by the way, through a combination of acquisitions but most are doing it organically. Yeah. They just, they just, they're just focused on it. It's culture. They're literally, yeah, they got a culture of recruiting and they have people and systems and they work at recruiting. And I mean, these are, I mean, I looked at my, that top 50 list and almost every brand was represented on there and several independents who were in the top 50 growth companies in the industry over the last 10 years in agent growth without acquisitions. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right? I mean, you know, growing hundreds of percent in 10 years, hundreds, several hundred percent in 10 years is something that's clearly unusual, but doable. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So we, uh, so we expect them all. I mean, I do expect some of these people to keep growing for some time to come, but at some point they run into some natural plateau and not only that, but th- there'll be, I mean, they're not just one firm in this segment. There's five. Yeah. Right? So yeah. they're going to be, and that, that also, you know, you take into account, you look at some of the changes Keller Williams making to make themselves more competitive and attractive. Well, so are some of the others. Right. Right. They're yeah. all gauging just like they have for the last 40 years. They adapt mm-hmm. and figure out a new economic model. It has always trended more money being paid to the agents than in years before. Right. Right. It's just, uh, we track that at Real Trends Consulting and we just, you know, we've got another report we're working on now to look at the last 10 years and it's just the gross margin, the amount that the brokers keep has just been sliding down for every kind of firm for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And actually um, it's more like 20 or 30. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, which is why they're looking at other ways to to make money, which makes sense. Right. So we're um, we're revealing our top list of independents uh, tomorrow, and um, although this will be Monday, so it'll already be out by then. So there are a lot of interesting companies on that list: Sampson Properties, yep. um, Location Real Estate, My Home Group, um, and then you have the usual suspects like EXP, Compass, Hannah Holdings, At Properties, Fathom. Is there anything that stands out to you on that list and any commentary you can share about the independents? We, we, have, we have said and written this for years that in looking at all the real trends data, broker ranking data we've looked at now for almost 34, 35 years now, when we look at those companies that were the fastest growing, it what we said, and we say it very carefully, it doesn't seem to matter what your brand is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to be where you're located. It doesn't as much. It doesn't seem to be your model as much because we see fast-growing Rilogy brands, Remax, Berkshire, Keller Williams, Independence, EXP, so on and so forth. Um, clearly, growth has more to do among independents, which don't have, I mean, other than EXP, you consider them a national company. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't have as much to do with brand as it does the quality and the focus of the uh, leadership of the brokerage. Yeah. Do they have a plan to grow and do they apply the resources and the people that they need to grow? You don't have to be an independent to grow and you don't have to be a national brand to grow what you have to have is really good leadership and a plan. Yeah. And now, um, go ahead. You know, can, a, can, a, can a national brand in some cases be helpful? Of course it can. Right. But it's not the deciding factor. So what about like Samson properties or location? They seem to be really, um, you know, moving fast up the, up the rankings. And, um, you know, what can you say about like those two companies? 
Well, I, I, I don't know them intimately well. One of them I know because we've done some work with them, but they tend to be low-cost, virtual-type brokerage companies. Um, and they're just doing, they're doing as their bigger peers like Fathom or, or uh, United or EXP, of course. They're they're taking they're they're keeping their services. They deliver, you know, competitive services to some extent, but they're a low cost alternative, and they've cut out a lot of overhead because some of these people will have, I think, of a couple of them, they'll have, you know, four, five, six, eight hundred agents associated with one office. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're so, and as I said earlier, there, there's, there's still a lot of market share among uh, low producing realtors for these people to uh, appeal to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, with the number of realtors in the, in the country at record high levels, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's a lot to, a lot of, to go after. So. Yeah. A lot of market there. And, yeah. But you know, it, it's uh, you know we noticed that over the last two years one of the fastest growing brands out there was Sotheby's. Okay. Yeah. Now the high end really has been extremely strong the last two years, but still they had the right companies, they had the right leadership. But we uh, we look at some of the Sotheby's numbers and how rapidly they have grown their volume in the last two years. They more likely than not grew share. Yeah. Right. And the last thing kind of plays into that is we made uh, notice of the fact a year ago that the Real Trends 500 had gained more market share in 2020 by a factor of 10 in, of any year they had ever gained share or lost share in the past. Yeah. That was in 2020. Well, it looks like they uh, 2021 was only a little bit behind that because it, it appears to us that they picked up 2.4 to 2.7 points of market share. Again, they outgrew the market. That's um, amazing. The, the, lar- the larger firms are, you know, not, not fat, not hugely fast, but they are starting to gain share like they never have in the 30 years we've been watching it. Yeah. That's really interesting too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And my last question is really where uh, the nation's best list recently launched. And I want you to explain um, to people who, who get confused between that and the Real Trends 500, what the difference is. And then is there anything notable on this list that um, that you want to mention? Well, uh, two things. First, the difference. Um, we've always set uh, a minimum to be qualify for the Real Trends 500 or nation's best at 500 closed transaction sites in the prior calendar year. Um, If you go back 20 years ago, uh, there weren't that many that excess that did, you know, that we couldn't fit on the 500. Well, now, you know, there's, I think the number is 1800 or a little above that did more than uh, 500 closed sides. So all of, all of those 1,800 who did more than 500 sides are all on nation's best. Yep. Real yep. Trends 500 is just the 500 largest. 
So, um, you know, it's um, it, that number keeps growing. I mean, it's another indicator of consolidation going on in the industry. So um, the other thing that's changed over the last, you know, oh, call it 20 years is the number of companies, uh, brokerage firms in Nation's Best and the Real Trends 500 who are affiliated with a national brand has grown enormously. Um, just enormously. I mean, I remember days 20, 20 years or so ago when independent brokers made up 60% of the Real Trends 500 and or nation's best. And now it's more like, well, it's above, I think when I looked at it, uh, roughly it's 70% yeah. of nation's best is now associated or more is now associated with the national brand. So, yes. you know, kudos to the national brands because clearly they've affiliated with good leaders who, who are growing their companies and doing a good job of that and, and using the brand and those tools to as a path to growth. So those are the two things that stand out to me. Okay. Yeah. I haven't looked up Sotheby's, but I know that um, between Keller, Remax, and the Realogy uh, franchise brands, they they kind of dominate the list of nation's best. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, so, they do. And, yeah. And it's... Um, you know, I'm I'm not looking at it. I can't scan the whole thing at one look, but there are probably well above 300 um, brokerage companies affiliated with Keller Williams or Remax on Nation's Best alone. Uh, I think there's I have I counted, and if my I'm correct, there's 420 Remax, 253 yeah. Keller, and then I didn't add up all of the Realogy brands. So, right. It's they're big numbers. I mean, they're going to be those three will be, you know, half, almost half, Mm -hmm. not quite, but close to half of the nation's best. Yeah. 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 Well, Steve, I really appreciate you taking time during your vacation to talk to me about the rankings. Um, So thanks. I, I appreciate that. Yep. Glad I could do so. It's always good to be on with you, Tracy. Thanks. Really is. And, uh, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to Real Trending. If you haven't already, we'd love it if you'd take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. And we will see you next week with more news and insights.